What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 385. My name is Steve. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show. And as always, I'm joined by... Ron. Where junkies prowl, where the tigers growl, in search of that much-needed blow, where winos cringe on a canned heat binge and find their graves in the snow. And John. <laughs> So that equals John. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or and John. That's just kind of a John vibe. If, if, if there's a quote that sums John up, it's that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hands down. <laughs> hands up. There has nothing, there's nothing no, to touch that. Yeah. No movie that captures me <laughs> right. more than uh, our required viewing for today. <clears throat> How you guys doing? Been a little, we had a little bit off week, unplanned last week. Oh, Everybody yeah. Feeling oh, all right yeah. this week? Yes. Yeah, very good. Much better very all good. around. Good, good, good. Um, so yeah, we're going to get into required viewing here in a second. Uh, I picked Deep Cover a couple weeks ago. This is a early '90s crime thriller um, from Bill Duke, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Um, and just a kind of preview for the rest of the episode. The, the feature review today is going to be the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle: Mutant Mayhem film that is, by the time you're listening to this, in theaters now. Um, actually, by the time we're recording this, it's in theaters now. But uh, and then we'll kind of throw some other things we've seen towards the end of the show um, over the last couple weeks. But Deep cover. Remind me, had had when I chose this, had you guys seen this yet? Had you I know Ronald, I think you might have seen it, right? You talked it, about it. It's yeah. it's been a while, man. Like it was one of those movies that I always saw the the box for. Right. That I could I wasn't quite allowed to watch um over my <laughs> family's house just because it was like for some reason New Jack City was all was 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 there, but something about deep cover felt a little less like there weren't there weren't as many parts to laugh at, so like I get I, th- I guess my family was like, this might be a little more serious. So right. deep cover is not going to be on the menu for for Ronald. And um, I saw bits and pieces, and then and when I was like eighteen or nineteen, I saw it a teeny bit. But this is my first like splash. It's my first complete dive into deep cover. Yeah, I, I think got for- the jacket and everything. I think for me, this would have lived on the video shelf, you know, because I I was doing the math. In 92, I was I, I was out of the house. I was in school at this point. So I was not at home watching HBO. But this feels like an HBO movie to me. It so does. maybe it, maybe it, it was in, maybe in the summertime or something. I watched it. Um, uh, what's the what's the movie with Denzel where his life gets ruined and it's a crime oh, thriller? You talk about the one where he got shot with the needle. Yes. Oh my god, that movie is nuts! What's that movie? What's that called? With uh, which, which one was that? When was that? So it has. It would have been an '80s movie, but it was a. Uh, it, it was an HBO movie that I think in my. In it too. He, he might be. He might be. But yes, yeah, so it's. You're right. It's like they they shoot him up and they ricochet. They ruin, ricochet. Yes, ricochet. I was going to say boomerang, but that's the Eddie Murphy romantic comedy. Um, I had this movie in my head. I think occupying I a think very so similar too. space to Ricochet, which yes. which was all over HBO at some point when I was at home. This one, I, I I think I had a similar feeling that I've seen scenes from this, but it might really just be the video box, and maybe I was around when somebody was watching it or something. But I really yeah. don't think I've seen this one but i feel like maybe moments from it have been called out or pointed to or something there's something kind of like underneath the surface but it feels like this movie had an impact um uh, genre wise and like what was happening it was a response to the type of film that was happening at that time in 92 we were starting to see a little bit more of like uh black creators 
you know, behind the camera like Bill Duke, even though this movie was written by two white guys, I think it's important to say. And, uh, you know, maybe you can tell <laughs> in, in some spots. But but yeah, it was it. this was one of those that feels like, oh, yeah, I had it in my head that Fishburne and Goldblum were in this type of movie together and I could picture the box. And yet I didn't have a real firm idea of it outside of the fact that you're right, Ronald, there is something kind of intense or seedy um, uh, bleak is one of the descriptors that comes up on Amazon when you watch it. So I think this is like more bleak than New Jack City in a way, Man. right? It's less fun. I think, I think there's something you got. Even though I did just there. quote some brilliant poetry from. I really do think, <laughs> Steve. This is this. I think I think John got me. I don't know if I've ever seen Deep Cover. Okay. Before okay. now, and I think that the movie you I'm thought, thinking you of. Thought you might have. I've yeah. seen Ricochet. 50 times. <laughs> so, so Ricochet hey, was the year before this. It's 91. It says. Okay. Yeah, so it was like that same sort of feel to okay. it. Like greedy, nasty. Yeah, un- yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, snitches and undercover cops. And right. And when, you're, like, and when you're a young person watching this, you, you do feel like you're watching something a little more gritty or adult yes, than, than yeah. the stuff yeah. that you're for used sure, to watching. For sure, for sure. What's your experience with this, Steve? I mean, I, I definitely remember watching this probably more so in the late 90s. I feel like there was a run like junior year of high school or something, which would have been like 97 or 98, 99 for me, where I just, you know, was always grabbing, like you said, the box art. I've mentioned that a lot for these required viewing yeah. movies that we picked. It's like the the Hollywood videos or the blockbusters, like, the you know, the, the ones that just really stood out to me that I feel like I had missed maybe because I was only like nine or 10 when it came out. Um but yeah, I just remember, I remember the box art for it as well. I remember like being in a, a mode where I was like, specifically, I guess with Jeff Goldblum and like remembering like Larry Fishburne at the time, mm-hmm. you know, like the things that he had been in and, you know, being like, oh, this, this sounds pretty cool, you know, like it, just having that kind of thing. So it was always a go back and check it out thing. Like I had like almost like a mental list and not to mention, like I always had like those Leonard Maltland, like books that you could used to be able to buy. Yeah. that like had like the breakdown every year of like the ultimate movie guide. Mm. And like, I feel like this was always one that I had like scratched in on the back. Like I got to check this out eventually. Um, but yeah, like it does, it does feel like it fits into that. Like Ricochet. I, I see the comparison or like, uh, there's a bunch of other ones from you know late 80s early 90s that kind of are very comparable to this but um i remember watching it at that time and really thinking i'm really kind of liking it and i you know especially at that time in my life just kind of the exposure of like the the morality that the that Lawrence Fishburne's character is kind of going through um it's not just a crime thriller you know it, it is that and you know the drugs the gang stuff is there but i really thought i it, that's what kind of stood out to me when I remember when I watched it the first time was like getting to see Jeff Goldblum kind of be like a villain of sorts or a bad guy of sorts. And then um, just being like, yeah, I really like Larry Fishburne, you know, and, and, and seeing that when I saw it and then a year later, you know, being introduced to one of the more iconic characters of all time, like being introduced to Morpheus and being like, holy shit, that's the same dude. Yeah. You know, and it's, it, it, it's like you come to this movie seven years later, eight years, six years later. And then a year after that, it's like the matrix changes the game and he's one of the stars of it. So it was like, yeah. it was a very surreal thing, you know, cause it was so recent at the time. So yeah, going back to it with some of the picks that we've made recently and being like, yeah, I, I want to revisit that. Cause recently, I, I don't know how recent, maybe in the last year or two, they'd had the criterion release for it. And I remember again, the box art was amazing for that criterion release. It, it really kind of still, 
kind of put an angle on the original box art and went into like the blues and the pinks and the purples and it's it's a gorgeous art artwork yeah, yeah. um and it had kind of caught my eye as like an interesting pick for criterion and but yeah, I don't know. Just like, you know, rewatching it, I feel exactly the same. I mean, like, obviously I'm a little, I've seen more movies at this point in my life and I can kind of like, you know, nitpick a little more, but I still think it holds that, you know, the nuance in, in Fishburne's performance and like the, the morality of like kind of going this undercover, that, that whole approach to going undercover, but not like not going too deep. And what is the implication of like what it, what you're doing has on like innocent people, right? You know, just, the, do, do 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 the means like justify what is it the the means justify the ends or end justify the means whatever and justify the is. means yeah yeah like I think this is a great example of that you know in terms of you know where that character where he goes throughout the movie and again I, I'm always down for a a Hammy Goldblum performance and this is definitely uh, like he's great he's just so much fun to watch in this. Well, I mean, yeah. it's a different um, Goldblum, right? I mean, like, it's important yeah. to kind of remember at this point, he definitely had had his kind of leading man moment. There was definitely kind of an offbeat sex symbol thing happening with him, but he's more strapping. It's like, it's not the Goldblum that we know now, this kind of dapper gentleman sort of guy. It was a little bit more, he's more kind of beefy and even like his haircut and stuff in this, he's he's playing a little bit more of like a... A, a kind of a dude bro than we've than we maybe are used to and i loved i, I thought of mac from um it's always sunny uh, it, when goldblum shows up in the leather duster uh, uh you know in the in the final kind of act of the film but <laughs> yeah, um yeah. I, I love the, the his character it is interesting it's like a it really feels like it's kind of an 80s creation the sort of crooked lawyer who's into drugs and he's got this sort of slick attitude about him and he says things that no one should dare to say uh to uh, uh lawrence fishburne larry um but there's a scene i love that you go you've got leather duster at the end and then there's a scene earlier where he's at home with his family and he's wearing like a, a almost like a cosby cardigan uh and i was just thinking like at that point there's no way this guy's like the meanest right drug, drug right. lawyer in town if he's wearing this this like cozy of a cardigan but it's like even he gets the memo he shows up in a leather duster later but yeah it's fun to see jeff goldblum at different points in his career and also you mentioned lawrence fishburne um you know he got started so young that he already had had this this extensive career by the time he shows up in something like this as yeah. a, still a young man. And it's a different Fishburne. Even you're talking about the matrix, Steve, it's a great way to, to frame this because he felt so much more like elder statesman, like dad, dad level. Uh, and he's felt middle-aged for as long as I can remember. But to see this, this is not middle-aged Lawrence Fishburne. This is like young kind of skinny, wily, um, it was just, I, I was impressed at, at, at how he's able to hold the screen and like, I mean, you can see why this guy became a star. It's like he's got this quiet confidence and and I can't think of a better word to say than just cool to him. That is really like amazing to watch in this movie. And he holds the stillness of that quality in. So, I mean, I think it's something Bill Duke is is like weaponizing on the movie's behalf is that you've got like Lawrence Fishburne sometimes just stone faced reacting to somebody or not reacting, reacting by not reacting to some right. of the craziness that he's seeing. And it's like that classic character who's like watching and learning and listening more than anybody else in the story. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was I was really impressed by that part of it and the kind of two hander aspect with Goldblum. Their scenes together are very interesting. Um, Goldblum's character, it's really tough to imagine someone writing that character today but <laughs> at least in the movie it's like these racist cops and you know racist lawyer it's like it's framed as 
this is terrible. These guys are racist. But I mean, the movie starts off. You guys were joking about the f bombs in this movie. That's that's not the only kind of. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Robert word. was joking about the F-bomb. I was, oh, he was. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I, I was concerned I, about the other way. Okay. I, I, I guess I was going, I, I must have not read that carefully enough. But yeah, I was really, I found that very bracing that this movie just starts right off with like yeah. maybe one of the most racist, not racist scenes, but one of the one of the most bracing depictions of racism that I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it's yeah. like the first two minutes of this movie. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it becomes like a, a running gag, so to speak, like that line that, that, that gets repeated a couple times. So um, I don't know. How did you feel sitting down to watch this in, in, you know, <clears throat> this movie from 1992 that is now 31 years old and you can kind of feel it in some ways, Ronald. <clears throat> I think at some point there's going to be like this, kind of turn around where like people are tired of being considerate and then i mean it's happening you can kind mm-hmm. of feel it so like watching movies like this that they completely are not considering these things it's it's kind of a relief a little bit i mean you know it's it's sure this guy was racist sure this guy was weird but like people like this exist in the world and i think there's like to act like they don't exist is a bigger crime than maybe putting it in the movie sometimes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there has to be some like understanding that people have to know what this looks like, even if it's like a highly elevated, by the way, they tell you in scripts to not write every character to be these like highly elevated nuts people that kind of speak in hyperbole all the time. Yeah. But the way that it works in this movie is so fun. Even like the drug dealer, so the the, the the guy that gets killed played by like Roger Smith, who 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 is like, I don't know what is he is he gay is he interested in, it, it, I can't figure out what this, this character, but I love it. I love what he is. I love this like Omni. <laughs> he's everything. He's he's everything. He's everywhere. You're talking about Eddie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, it, it is a very stylized performance it is and exaggerated it almost made me feel that but there's a scene or two later where people are like getting beaten or something and they're really playing up how pathetic it is you know and i was thinking it was that something that bill duke was directing this actor to do in this character would be to like no don't play this guy as cool because he he's not yeah yeah, (laughs) he is not cool at all kind of a spazzy yeah if we can even say that word, that word anymore, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think we are. I, it, I, I don't, I don't think we mean it that way. But yes, yeah. I think that it's yeah, like, you it, can't it, even but use it, that word anymore. But an erratic, uh, uh, yeah, uh, erratic, yeah, yeah. Um, Spike Lee alums, these two, Lawrence and him, and yeah. there's something about like every character is nuts. Like the 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 muscular drug dealer that says "Hasta la vista, baby," and shoots someone, a little kid. And just like in broad daylight, it, it, it just not broad daylight, but like it was the evening. It was the early evening. People were out getting dinner. It was just a a violation. And it, I love I love that part about it. People, it's it, sure there's some like gray area, but I think that it's supposed to be like that, right? Like, yeah, everybody's supposed to be likable in some way. This guy was un like nothing about him was redeemable. Right, he was so awful, and. The, the 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 conflict that he had with how to how to level out this guy 
you felt it. It it it, it was like, man, I don't. I, I, he doesn't want to have to deal with this guy. He doesn't right. want to be around him. He's nasty and kind of. He's like he he wishes he was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like living this nuts life, and every character is like that. And I loved it. Well, you, you know, right from the beginning, that opening scene with uh, with Glenn Turman, uh, I think that's that actor that we love, right? That's his name. Glenn Turman's so good. Yeah, Glenn Turman. So good. But it's in like two seconds, he goes from like, you know, it's like hitting his son and saying, like kind of saying like, stop crying kind of thing where it's like, yeah. um, but like, and he wants him to see him robbing the place. You know, he comes out holding up the gun and the money and he says, you see, I just thought that moment was so crazy. Like that got me. Like I know yes. it's over the top and not subtle, but when he's yes. standing there with the guy, even before he gets shot, but just him standing there with in front of the sun, holding up the money and the gun and saying, you see, I was like, okay, these flashbacks that explain how someone came to be the way they are, they can be a little heavy handed, <laughs> yeah. but I really bought that one. I Me was too. like, I, I get what I got the path we were on with this guy, you know, like, so when Lawrence Fishburne is flirting with that criminal world later, um, you don't really know how much he got out of it. I mean, that's one thing this movie doesn't do, which I I kind of like, but I Me also too. think in the deep cover scenario, a lot of times you have a real sense of the person's life outside of the the cover and what it's doing to that life. And you don't really get a sense of Lawrence Fishburne's life outside of the cover, outside of his 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 experience with his dad. But just that moment with the father, Glenn Turman like hangs over the movie. Um they cut back to him at a couple points, but they don't really need to. You you remember that moment and you remember the, like what that must do to a person to like go from like thinking their dad is a violent crook and trying to deal with that to then trying to deal with their dads, trying to show him some kind of wisdom or lesson through this. And then your dad's gone, you know, like yeah. that's, that's intense. Heavy, and it's and it's kind of what you're talking about, Ronald. Everything's sort of amped up and and theatrical in this movie, but you sort of accept it as like that's just the pitch. That yeah. this that yeah, this yeah. that this movie is operating on, and also that this type of movie maybe kind of needs to it. It's it is bleak, it is intense, it is like it does make you nervous. We're talking about the Eddie character. It reminds me of how like in mob movies, you'll frequently have like this is the kind of goofy guy who makes you nervous because he can't handle this. He doesn't seem to even know as well as these other maniacs how yeah. to handle this world that they're in. Um, so seeing Lawrence Fishburne this as this super calm person thrusting himself into the middle of it. Um, it's not like we've never seen this story before, but I mean, there's a reason why people tell this story. It really is compelling. The idea of how far would you go and where's the line right in the middle of this movie. He's essentially a drug dealer. I mean, he's selling drugs and shaking yes. people down and, uh, to then have that be betrayed by the, the, the feds and everything. I don't know. It's just a, it's a, it's a well done version of that, of that story that you expect when someone says, Oh, a cop who's too deep undercover, you know, like, yeah. Anybody have any specific performances or moments they want to kind of call out before we uh, move on? Oh, I want to say just off the bat to get it going. The most sensitive portrayal of a young addicted mother that's ever been put to film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that character is so over the top loathsome Jeez. in that in that scene. She does like 19 things to be like the worst in that one scene <laughs> with with uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character. It's like, oh, I wonder if they're trying to say something about this, this, this mother. Um <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, honestly, for, yeah, for me, it's just it's it's Fishburne. I mean, yeah, I think that's yeah. it, it's kind of like what makes the movie for me. Um, and I mean, I feel like I, uh, the scene that one of the scenes that really stands out is that like car chase scene. Um, like where the guy's like hanging out of the car. But 
that's only something I remember that scene even watching it back then. So watching it again, it kind of stands out. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's all it's all Fishburn for me. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to throw a wild card out there. Uh, Mod Squad's Clarence. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like, come on, son. It's very like intense. Like he knows he's in too deep. He's trying to guide this guy who does have like a father figure, and and we- <laughs> the turn that happens. <laughs> it's just so good, man. It's a well written thing, and and Clarence Williams. The, the third kind of comes in with this intensity, this father energy that I I, I needed to kind of contrast all the the crazy drug dealer energy that was well, happening. Well, he plays so great. Like, he, he does good, like, what's the better, but like square, like he's a little bit square in this movie. Yeah. But the way the movie uses that is also incredible. Like when we get to <laughs> what happens with him and what it does to Lawrence Fishburne and what it says about the relationship between Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum at this point, like it, it it's, it's extremely emotionally powerful. I mean, if you're, if you're letting yourself go on the ride, the movie's taking you on that yeah. scene where uh, Clarence uh, Williams, the third, that's his name, right? Um, yeah. Where he gets killed was like, Oh yeah. I, for, I even forgot that there was like a level of tragedy that this movie could hit that would affect Lawrence Fishburne's character. Yeah. And, and that you realize like the movie hasn't really been telling you that he likes this guy that's checking in on him, but obviously it wrecks him to see that this decent man, good, a good cop who's not stepping over the line, who's not playing with fire the way that his character is. Um, Yeah. That was, that was really interesting how that character evolved from kind of almost like a one note sort of, Oh, he's that guy. He's the sort of preachy nuisance kind of guy. Who's, who's saying you need to stay on the straight and narrow. And then in the (laughs) end, it turns out that he's like, you know, the a lot more important i thought that was a really interesting character yeah so who's next well i i believe it's me um and uh, we talked about the theme like the black rain was a was a was a intense thriller a cop thriller crime thriller and then this was kind of following in the footsteps of that so i had Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I went to my list of movies that I want to talk about with you guys, and there's one that I has been coming up recently for whatever reason. You ever see that happen where you're interested in an old movie, and then like for two or three people in social media or something, they'll start talking about. It. So this movie jumped onto my list, but one thing bothered me was that I was like, it's it's from 1973, and I was like, well, have I been choosing only movies from the 70s for, <laughs> for this thing? So I actually did a little. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to dig into a tiny bit of uh, required viewing stats. My pick for next week will be the 39th pick. So I sort of logged my pick. It's still my pick. But I did go back and say, have I feel like every movie I've picked has been from, from 1973. But that's not actually true. <laughs> um, here's how it breaks down. Ronald, uh, th- th- since my next one will be the 39th, well, that means we've all done 13 movies. So, Ronald, uh-huh. you, you've chosen five from the 2020s, one from the 2010s, one from the 90s, four from the 80s, and two from the seventies. Cool, Steve. You've chosen five from the twenty twenties, two from the twenty tens, one from the two thousands, two from the nineties, three from the eighties. Nothing from the seventies. Oh, I've chosen one from the two thousand tens, one from the two thousands, two from the nineties, three from the eighties, and five from the seventies. So not all, but at least almost half of mine. Yeah, right, right. But what's interesting is that means we're like you guys have chosen five each from the 2020s and i've chosen five from the 70s so it's almost like maybe we'll start to meet in the middle um yeah uh 
but I also wanted to, when I started doing this, I was like, well, wait a minute. So that makes me wonder, like, what's our most represented decade? And it, actually, the 80s and the 2020s are tied each for 10 oh, wow. picks. That kind of makes sense because 2020s yeah. is the, the recent stuff and the 80s is sort of like whatever we want to say about our movie tastes. I think the 80s would be our movie decade, you know, probably the most. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, oh, also, I should have said that one of mine was from the 50s. That's further down on my little spreadsheet here. So um, <laughs> that was the lady killer. So anyway, I'm sticking with my 1973 pick. I had one more thing I wanted to say, though, about the stats. This is actually kind of a of an uh, interesting thing of the years that the most of the years just that we represent only have one from that year. The 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 year that has the most movies chosen from it is 2022, which does make sense. But I was curious, like I looked at all the years that have more than one movie from it. And I tried to see which year had the best spread of like what movies we've chosen and what they represent. And mm. I think it's hard to beat 1989 because that's a, the year from which we've chosen black rain and society. <laughs> and I just feel like that's a, that's a pretty good spread, you know, yeah, two the next movies. Yeah, then well, I think any any movie you put with society is gonna be a spread yeah. <laughs> because there's not really another movie like society. <laughs> um anyway, so I'll probably continue to bring in this kind of nerdy shit as time goes on because I like making spreadsheets. But uh so yes, the 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 right now the twenty tens and the eighties are the most represented uh in our choices. So if we mm. want to break outside of our mold, it's not this I actually could do the seventies pick and then I can I can move to another decade for a while and I can probably spread my averages out. But for next week, we're talking about a British uh, crime thriller from 1973, directed by Sidney Lumet. And I did look that up because I was like, is it Lumet or, or, or Lumet? But it's not either one. It's Lumet. Um, really? Yes. Lumet? Lumet. Lumet. Wow. Lumet. Sidney Lumet. But it is a movie starring uh, Sean Connery as a cop who becomes so disgusted with uh, the crime that he's seeing, he actually takes uh, excessive action with someone who may or may not be guilty. And it's uh, a movie called The Offense from it's... 1973. So okay. um, I'm looking forward to seeing this. This, Like I said, it was a movie that I, it popped up on my radar. And then within a week, I heard two or three other people refer to it coincidentally. So I just thought, all right, there's something in the zeitgeist. Um, the Offense, 1973. It's a 1973 British cop thriller. So, Ronald, I'm going to make a prediction. Uh, no black people in this movie. Okay, just 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 <laughs> reaching. Well, into I don't the know. So, I don't know if that's better than than constant wall to wall inwards. I guess you know we can, <laughs> we can let time decide. Yeah, okay. yeah, for so sure. Just wanna... But but so, if there, but if there is any diversity at all in a movie from 1973, I'm confident it will be super poorly handled and offensive to oh, us. Of course. <laughs> So, so so it looks like it's on both Pluto and Tubi. Um, so free to watch. Oh, or you could awesome. or you could rent it if you'd like, but yeah. Both available on the Tubi app and Pluto. Two free apps, and you can watch it absolutely free. That's pretty cool. It's typically it's not both ever, of the I've apps. I've never heard of this movie. Yeah. Me either. Me either, yeah, but I'm is, I'm gonna definitely nice. see it. The offense, well, 1973. Well, Ronald, you're required to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. 1973. Okay. <clears throat> Dope. Adding it to the queue right now. So I, you know, I I know. Uh, probably uh, people have been hearing a lot about this this week, but I do think we need to spare a few minutes for our. 
our fallen friend, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens passed away at 70 uh, after a six year battle with cancer that um, was apparently something he was keeping from a lot of people. Oh, um, right. But uh, which, you know, not to say that that's a commentary on anything, just that I think people went from not knowing he was ill to finding out he's dead at the same in, in one minute. And so it was kind of a little shock. But I think what was interesting was. And I think I might have guessed this, but it still was interesting to see that he was at that like Prince, David Bowie, Sinead O'Connor even level of like yeah. someone who left a mark on people. There, there was something sad about his story. There was always something kind of like a great career that got kind of knocked off course in a way that that felt always felt strange and a little unfair. He's had a few scandals and a few controversies, and there's still some things that kind of linger um, that people talk about. But overall, what has really struck me is all these effusive accounts from people famous and not famous who had contact with him. And it's, I mean, people just make it sound like he was the warmest, kindest, most thoughtful, <laughs> funny, sweet guy. And it made me think about how often I dwell on the sort of sarcastic eight-year-old at his worst aspects of Pee Wee that I find so funny, but that really what he kind of like with, with the playhouse series and just other things he used with that character or he used that character to do, there's a kindness and a curiosity about the world and an acceptance of people and like a sort of belief in the goodness of things that really does seem to have resonated with, uh, you know, I knew Gen Xers, I knew my people had that, but I was really impressed to see how many millennials who it's like, oh yeah, well, they grew up even more with like Pee Wee's Playhouse when they were really young. I don't know. It's just been really touching and kind of one of those shared experiences that has been pretty much across the board, super positive and super loving and super, uh, I don't know. It's just really allowed me to stop and notice the passing of this special person who I, I, I think I said to you guys, there's only been one of that guy, you know, Paul Rubens and what he did with Pee Wee Herman is completely unique. Um, yeah. The only thing not unique about it is that he stands next to other incredibly unique things like Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin or the Marx Brothers or something like that. Like it's a yeah. it's a joyous comedy creation that has clearly left a mark on a lot of people. Um, so I don't know. Let's, uh, you know, let maybe in praise of silliness, we lost a silly man this week. And I, that always brings me down. Ronald and Steve, what did you think of uh, the career of Paul Rubens? I, mean, I like gray suits because of him. I almost <laughs> exclusively buy gray suits because of Pee Wee Herman. But you went against the red bow tie, though. I think, right? I you, did. You, I never did, really it didn't, it didn't really go for yeah. you. I should have should have did that. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's amazing, and I think that I think the Pee Wee thing could be a a, a real uh, thing to love. But you know, he Matilda, Mystery Men, Buffy. I mean, Blow. I love them in blow. What we do in the shadows. Yeah. So like that on top of just the phenomenon that, that Pee Wee was. I mean, if you weren't on the Pee Wee train, like I used to think that people just weren't, didn't get it. Like, I'm like, how do you not understand what he's doing? It, it, that, that was, he's like one of the first people that I'd watch. And I was like, he's, he's doing a thing. And it won't stop. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's continuous, it's it's intense, it's it's really funny and caring and had a lot of heart and range to it. Um Larry Fishburne. Let's yeah. let's talk let's talk. I mean, about come on. It. Yeah. Yeah. One of his really cool, prominent things that I remember from. So when, say, uh, you, yeah, you either yeah, you either remember Cowboy Curtis or probably Morpheus. Yeah. yeah. Cow- <laughs> 
so crazy. What a range. What range. Dude, what a range, man. <clears throat> yeah, I was watching wow. a, a clip from a doc that was like showing it was an interview with Lawrence Fishburne, and he was talking about how John Singleton was yeah. like a door guy. Like he was a PA, but he like watched the door for Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like he was that, and that's how he, you know, so he met good. him. And he would future, you know, go to Boys in the Hood. But like, I, I was just like, yeah. That's, that story is great, Steve, by the way, where he amazing. says that, that like, what was it? He, uh, Lawrence Fishburne treated him like a human being, basically. Yes. And he's like, let's, John let's, Singleton let's said, a, let's go have I'm a gonna, coffee or something. Yeah. I'm going to write an Academy Award winning role or something like that for you. You know, yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was really cool. I love those connections. I love when someone being kind has like a ripple effect. <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, that, that show is, yeah. I mean, especially of like, you know, people our age or I mean, it's just like late 80s, early 90s, like Pee Wee's Playhouse was like was the thing, you know, I mean, it was iconic and it is still iconic. And yeah. it's 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 truly unique and <clears throat> one of a kind and the character is one of a kind. But I mean, even beyond the show, like Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the movie is just like one of my so favorite good. comedies. Like it's yeah. it's it's it is wall hilarious. to wall. Great, funny moments yes. that, that yes. have all become not to overuse the word iconic, but like almost every line in that movie has been turned into a meme or a quote. You know what I mean? Sure. It's that it's that good. Right. And it's like and it's that it's that that unique or that that like so hard to like really kind of find a place in pop culture or the zeitgeist and to really stay there for decades and generations. Yeah. But whether it's the series or that movie. Or, you know, even to some degree, Big Top Pee Wee, like, you know, th there's just like that character's, you know, uh, the media that, that exists that that character is a part of um, and all the characters around him is, um, is, is like foundational for me, for sure. Like, I still have a lot of stuff in my parents' house from Pee Wee's Playhouse, like the, the toys wow. and the, you know, the, the stuffed animals, like I have it all still. And because um, it was a really important thing growing up. And it's really sad to hear about, you know, what what was going on with him the last six years. But, you know, kind of how he remained the the person that everybody kind of has been talking about recently, you know, in, 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 in the wake of his law, the loss. But, um, yeah, it's really sad. And it's it's that thing now, especially like especially of the those foundational things of our people of our age. It's like it's it's scary that they're all in that range you know of age and th th those horrible things like cancer that just seem to affect so many people um and we're, we've lost a lot of them recently but yeah peewee you know paul rubens is definitely you feel it for sure because he's in like the, the things that ronald just rattled off like the different other stuff that's not peewee related mm -hmm. um, that he still you know had impacts on other things too that are still like things that are just bedrock to like what i like you know so it's just mm -hmm. it's 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 a loss for sure well i mean it's so many of my favorite people that were touched by him or that like yeah that w they used their fame when they had it to get to know him you know like scott Ackerman from comedy bang bang one of my favorite guys uh in comedy today he was heavily influenced by and if you watched one episode of that television show you can totally see that scott's persona as the host of the show is based a little bit on that annoying guy who won't stop kind of character but like you know he had peewee herman on the show in character and he said it was one of the thrills of his career but that the friendship that they had seemed legitimate and they apparently they're they live near each other and he said they would frequently in recent years make plans and the paul rubens would always be very enthusiastic about saying yes let's do something together and then he would very politely kind of demur when the time came up and and now scott realizes what was happening was that he was you know, he was not wanting to say it. I don't know. He just was keeping it from people. And 
Um, so many people were sharing stories of how he never forgot a birthday. And in fact, if you were one of his friends, apparently on your birthday, he just spammed you with gifts all day of like people getting hit in the face with pies and cakes <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> so silly. But they said it was just so joyous that he did it. And then uh, several people said that last year, his message that he sent on their birthday was more meaningful and more touching and very emotional for them. And after several people were sharing this, Jack Black, of all people, popped up as a commenter on one of these threads and said, I think he was saying goodbye to us. You know, oh, I think last man. year when he, everybody says they got a more touching message from him, he he knew, you know. Um, and the yeah. only thing I hope, and I think Ronald, you and I were saying this, is I hope he knew. I think he must have. With all these sort of late career, he got to do the Netflix, uh, the third Pee Wee movie, which was, I thought, very funny. Pretty it great. Was funny. Yeah. Um, and he, whenever he would pop up, he would be such a loving guest role. Like he did pop up on what we do in the shadows. And there's a funny story about that too. Real quick. I'll just say Jermaine Clement talked to him about how he modeled his Buffy, the vampire slayer, uh, character, the look of it, the wig is modeled on his mugshot, you know, his famous mugshot with the long hair and the goatee. And he brought that same look to what we do in the shadows. He said, I want to make sure we get this look right. And Jermaine Clement asked him, it's like, well, why, why, like, what, what is it that about that, that you want to you know, recreate. And Paul Rubin says that that mugshot was the coolest I ever looked. <laughs> I don't know. Just things like that make me love the guy. And those little stories like that, where, you know, Jermaine Clement, Scott Thompson from kids in the hall, Scott Ackerman, Jack Black, uh, Natasha Leone, these amazing people that I love uh, their work have said how much he was an important part of things and how much he was that guy that you kind of hope he was. So um, yeah, uh, it just, I mean, it just feels like it's one of those we can all sort of, again, controversies, scandals be damned. We can all sort of say uh, that guy, you know, we say that someone was a true original. Uh, very recently, people were saying that about Sinead O'Connor, and I think rightfully so. Um, and I think, you know, here's another one, you know, that you just can't account for it. And I do think it's interesting how many of my my queer friends and how many of I don't know, different different groups of people that I was interested to see how much he meant to them for specific reasons that were that were different than my own, even though I appreciate pretty much everything about the guy. And yes, Steve, big adventure. I, I don't know that I've ever laughed harder at a movie in the theater than I did when I was 11 years old. And I went to see yeah. big adventure with my dad and a friend and we all nearly pissed ourselves. And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Still, probably Tim Burton's best movie, maybe as well. I don't know. Maybe that's arguably, not quite yeah. Fair, I mean, the yeah. success rate of those jokes in that movie is just—it's absurd. Like, it's—it's it's hilarious. <clears throat> All right. Peace. Yeah. We're not going to do any. Uh, we're not going to try to make any quote. We're not going to try to make like I know you are, but what am I into like a a, a, a eulogy or anything like that? And we're not going to do the voice either. But we could. We could try to do the voice, but we're going to spare people that. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, what else do we have on the plate tonight? I know that I uh, did. We all see uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the new uh, animated movie from Seth Rogen and Friends. I believe we did. I hope yeah, we, we did. did. Yeah. Well, so. well, I mean, here's another cultural touchstone, right? Like uh, for a lot of people, I think for you guys, Ninja Turtles probably loomed larger uh, because they were this animated series that was probably when you were the right age for it. And like that was it was geared towards kids and the toy line and the cereal and the snacks. I, I you know, I was a little bit more like I was into the comic and then I was kind of interested in the cartoon when it came out. But it definitely seemed to me when I was a teenager anyway, that it was more for kids. And so I was not as into any of the incarnations. And I'll I'll just start the conversation by saying I didn't realize until I sat down to watch this movie in the theater that. This is the first uh, teen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that, that I have watched. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I've just, 
What? Managed. I, I, you know, maybe I watched the first one with a friend because we were real into like the Henson shop and we were real into yeah. into the effects aspect of it. So I, it's possible I have a memory of watching the first one as a rental, like, you know, maybe late high school or college, whenever it came out um, f- to look at the animatronics, but never really sat down and watched the movie and definitely didn't see any of the others. I feel like I know all about them because, you know, frankly, you guys, your generation hasn't shut up about them. But, uh, you know, I've learned <laughs> I've learned to roll with the punches here. Um, <clears throat> that's I, fired. So, so but but as it goes, like the, I'm just saying, this is like an important cultural touchstone to 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 i think people slightly younger than me and it's like i can have this awareness of it but i don't think it has the same pull for me that it might have so like maybe you guys could talk a little bit about what this version meant to you Mm, mm, um 80s late 80s 90s hit culture like a fucking meteorite i mean if you didn't have something turtles related. You have something bootleg turtles related. I just remember how like pizza was huge because of it. Like <laughs> pizza parties went up. I mean, Steve, pizza parties probably went up like a, a thousand percent after it got really popular. I, think I remember the actual figure was like seven billion percent. <laughs> yes, it has to be right. Uh, pizza Hut was so huge. It was like. I Dude, went from yeah, everybody's because because this is a big thing, man. McDonald's birthday parties went from McDonald's birthday parties to Pizza Hut. And that was it. It like Chuck E. Cheese, Pizza Hut and all the pizza places, <laughs> but primarily Pizza Hut and Chuck E. Cheese. It was it was right. it was in the language. It was in. And I was a comic book guy. So I know about the, the Kevin Eastman version. Like, I'm not I'm not like blind to it. It just. I was like, oh, this is a different version of it. Because because I remember going, so, th- you know, I'd watch the cartoon and I was like, let me go to the comic book store because I used to see them. I'm like, let me actually see it. They look a little more serious than a cartoon. I was like, oh, they're like killing people in this. <laughs> like murdering people in this. And they're not teenagers, really. They're like, yeah, it was like a weird thing. So like this was, the cartoon was a little more silly. Well, a lot more silly. Um, the figures were a little different. You know, they kind of did amalgamations of characters. They created new characters. Um, so, you know, that maybe even informed the actual comic book after a while. But yeah, it was, it was a, it was hit everything. I was watching the cartoons, the movies. I remember the first time I heard the word damn in a movie that wasn't like a regular movie was like the Turtles movie when Raphael come back, I'm not finished with you, and just scream, damn, I went to go see a kid's movie. I'm like, oh, my God. That thing hit me like a meteor, man. I don't know. Sorry. I feel like I'm just... No, bad. no. I'm, I'm I'm enjoying hearing this. You know, it's funny. I When I say I like the comics, I want to be clear. I'm not a, like, purist about it. Oh, I right, just right, think, right, right, I, right, I just right, think right. that the comics were... It's almost like the comics were existing in a different space it was a black and white it was one of the first like indie comics i remember being like a sought after thing and it immediately started selling out and like the original the early issues were super pricey back issues at that point but in the comic it was more of a parody of like the gritty dark comics that were being made at the time by saying ninja turtle was uh, there was humor inherent in the idea of the, these little badass turtles that that look so serious you know but the cartoon it it differentiated the characters 
it it created this whole kind of cowabunga dude sort of thing. It, it introduced the pizza thing. It like developed their personalities and gave them different colors for their right. uh, for their uh, masks and stuff. Like so, it did a lot. That the early comics were very much a sort of parody of self serious comics that itself mm. had a sort of serious edge to it. But if you look at the early early drawings, you can see it even was like an it was a different kind of art. It was a it was much more indie underground looking art, but it was reaching for something kind of mainstream and what it was poking fun of. I, I think once they turned it into a cartoon, like it's funny, these things seem like they exist and then they change. 1984 was the comic. 1987 was the cartoon. Yeah. Does that kind of like thing right ever there. blow your mind when you're like, it felt like it was this long time before yeah. it was an animated version, but really it existed in one form for three years before it, it became the thing that it has now been for how many years is that from 87, right? Like that's, uh, you know, we're pushing, we're, uh, that's like 35 years, 36 years or something since, since that cartoon came out. So it had three years to exist as a gritty black and white comic. That was a parody of superhero comics. And it since then has had 35 years as guys with multicolored masks who have different personalities and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that in a way it became what it became and that's what it is. The comic almost seems like a different thing, but I was at the time, I think I would have been more interested in a, just an animated version of the comic. But I also think that if they did that, it wouldn't be what it, it wouldn't have become what it became. Like it wouldn't have been this thing that they could mar merchandise and market. Um, I will say this though, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I never knew the different personalities of the turtles and I never knew what color they are, but I'm going to now try to stake out, see if I'm getting this right. Okay. Leonardo, he's he wears blue, and he's the bland one. You can remember blue for bland. <laughs> okay, Michelangelo, he's like the little guy. He's like the more fun one. He's like this in this. He's like the silly one, but he's also like the one who might be the more most fun loving and most like kind of kind of uh, relatable in a way. And he wears orange. Raphael is like. The guy who's more into fighting and more hot-headed, and he wears red, right? Raph, red. Hot head, red. See? And then uh, Donatello wears purple, and he's just a nerd. He's, he, he's better with gadgets. Did, did I get that right? It sounds like you watched the movie, yeah. I finally yeah. know. I finally get it. I, all this time when people have said, oh, Raphael, you... oh, Donatello, I was like, uh, in the comic, they were just kind of interchangeable names almost for John. characters that weren't very different. You need to do yourself a favor and look up the beginning of the cartoon from the 80s. They, yeah, they yeah. explain it. Oh, they do. Just, they, just, just yeah. the title, the title song. You know, I, just, have, I have heard people talking about that. Isn't one guy a party dude? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> Michelangelo. See, I don't I didn't get party dude from him in the movie. I got more like he's like the sweet one. But I guess I could see the extension of sweet fun loving is party. Dude. We're just yeah. getting to know them in this movie, John. Yes, right, right, right. Uh, he's got time to grow into a true party dude. But yeah, like to, to, to piggyback on Ronald's comment, like there, I mean, I would say probably in the era, like between this and Power Rangers, I don't think there were probably any, you know, across the spectrum, anything bigger yeah, than those yeah. two properties, you know, arguably. Um, and I feel like with the turtles, you know, if, if you grew up in the 80s, 90s and didn't go as a turtle at some point to a party, <laughs> to a, you know, Halloween trick or treating to something or have a themed party or something, attend a party that was themed. You know, you might have been living in a under a rock or something. I don't know. But like these these characters uh, are iconic. Uh, I love the turtles. Again, I have the toys still at my parents house. Um, I was very excited to kind of introduce my daughter to them. She'd kind of seen some of the animated series 
with me like we watched kind of just casually mm-hmm. um so she was excited to hear like a new movie that was animated was coming out is there a um, version that she likes that you've exposed her to or is it just the classic animated cartoon so the far? only thing that she's really watched prior to this movie was the animated cartoon after this movie i was telling her about the 90s live action film so we mm. did we, we started to watch that as well um which the funny thing is i always remembered Corey feldman voicing um donatello but i didn't remember josh pace like doing the voice of Raphael. which is like if you if you know that actor do you know who i'm talking about josh pace or uh I I to... you you could play some he was in like um uh he was in joker he was in um like the joaquin phoenix joker he's a character actor he's one of those faces mm. you you would if you google him right now you you would immediately know but his voice is like oh yeah that's totally him but yes he's hot-headed and screaming the whole movie but um yeah, she's definitely way more interested now in like the screening that we went to. Like they had the little like colored masks for each character they were given out. So like, you know, she got the set and she's been kind of leaning towards who she feels like, you know, she she is, you know, which is I love that. Um, but yeah, man, these these are these are these, this was probably as big as it got in terms of cross cross generational. It stuck around for 30 plus years, uh, you know, and not to mention that beyond the movie beyond the 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 pizza the lingo the the opening song to the cartoon which is iconic itself like ron just mentioned yeah don't forget about how amazing and popular and still relevant the arcade game was like the side scroll ninja turtles arcade game is an all-timer like it's it's like up there with simpsons you know what i mean like it's it's one of the ones i want in my house when i have more money in a bigger house. Yeah. So like, I have I the Calabunga collection that just came out. Yeah. Xbox. Yeah. It has all the all the games from all the systems, including some, Game some, Boys. I can remember sitting at those arcades, which yeah. again, so a relic good. of our time is arcades, but like um like real arcades with quarters and not little credit cards you load with points. But um yeah, the the, the games just like they 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 kind of uh infiltrated every part of your life as a kid in the late 80s, early 90s. So um this 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 movie mutant mayhem which is the one that we're talking about is in theaters now again from point gray seth rogan who's also a, you know voices one of the characters in the movie one of the you know more uh identifiable characters from the you know 80s 90s run it was exciting to see that that group involved with this because we talked about this in the podcast before. And I say it a lot like this. I, I love Seth Rogen. I love point gray. I really enjoy most of the things, if not all of the things that he and Evan Goldberg have been involved with as producers, writers, stars, whatever with Seth in Seth's case. But, um, you know, hearing what their take on Ninja Turtles was going to be when they announced it a few years ago was, was really reassuring. Cause I think one of the things that, and, and John, you not seeing the other stuff, like, all the way through and stuff but like i think one of the the assets like that this movie carries is the idea that uh you know the turtles are like 15 in this this movie and like they're voiced by kids that are that age you know and i think that that is like a huge asset to this movie as much as i love the animated the movies the live action even even enjoy some of the michael bay stuff that came out a few years back you know the idea that kids are voicing these kids is like is huge because like i think that the emotion coming through in the voice performance of these young actors um the voice acting in the movie in general is just incredible i think but i mean the the turtles casting kids to be you know the the four leads 
is is really great and a different angle, I think. And it really kind of more accurately is kind of tapping into this adolescence and coming of age period of, of this version of Ninja Turtles, which was always there, but it's kind of like, it, it's kind of undersold a little bit because, you know, you could always tell that like, these are like men voicing these, these yeah. characters, you know? Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if we're going to get into, can we talk about what we thought of it in general? Or oh yeah, like, definitely. I mean, I, I just want to say that I loved it. Like I, 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 you know, and, and, in in a simple statement, like this is like, maybe not as, grand as spider-verse you know in terms of like you know the scope of storytelling and kind of what they're going for but i feel like this ron and i discussed this after the screening that we went through like it really sits in that same space for me you know the the idea of taking an ip that i love and that i'm very familiar with and finding a new way to present it and not to mention that the animation itself i just thought is is gorgeous and the voice acting is great the direction's great it's co-directed by um, Jeff Rowe, who did uh, Mitchell's vs. Machines a few years ago, which is, again, we talked about highly on this show and was one of my favorite movies of that year. And that, too, sits in that space for me. This 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 pushing the art of animation and storytelling through animation and, and this movie going uh, with animation is just it's we're, we're like becoming spoiled in a lot of ways with some of these movies that we've gotten in recent years. And this is up there for me. Like I, I we were laughing constantly during the movie. My daughter loved it. Um, I was engaged throughout the movie and moves so quickly. It's a barely 90 some minutes and uh, it does a great job of setting up whatever could come next. If this is a success and um, hopefully it is because I would love to see more movies with this cast um, of characters and a lot of characters like from the comics and from the show that we never really got in live action movies before that you get to see on the screen for the first time, which was a lot of fun to watch. Um, but it seemed like you were enjoying it too, Ronald. What did you, what did you think of it? I mean, it's it's one of the better movies that I've seen in a while. Just it's in Spider Verse was really good. I think there's something about what this one did with family and right that 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 hit me in a different way with the father. You know, father stuff is always going to make me mess me up a little bit. Right. Um, and the, the the approach to kind of you know I was. I, I did. I did what you do, and I kind of was watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And and what was really important for Seth Rogen was that it sounded natural, and they recorded almost like ninety-five percent of the movie in the same room together. So, oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah so that's awesome. something about that, just the banter in it. The, you know, the like. There's a scene where they're, they're kind of making fun of New York. The and, New York stuff, yeah. The New York stuff. Bacon, and, egg, um, and cheese. Yeah, we outside <laughs> We outside comes from side talk. Look up side yeah. talk. is one of the weirdest things in the world. It's just like this this guy on the street, like just these guys on the street interviewing New Yorkers. Uh, but we outside is one of the bigger things that they say on those yeah, things, yeah, yeah. side talk. But it, it just, they capture these things that only younger people would have caught you know and it's like this this like language this lingo this fun it's like making fun of a thing that like it's a little thing that we you know as a teenager when you're playing with your friends you're like joking around they say this one thing that bothers you it's like that's why your haircut doesn't look like the way it's supposed to look and you're like that they, you remember it and you yeah, just yeah, sit yeah. with it and it's like the things that you go through as a teenager that 
are really cool and your voice not being there quite yet and um just when you meet a a a, a girl the way that it feels like fireworks are going off in your head when you meet somebody really nice um and Ayo, man, God, the voice acting in this movie. Yeah, she was really great. Yeah. yeah oh my she's God. Like, I, and, and, and the unsung hero of this movie. I mean, I haven't heard it just because of everything that's going on with them. People hate him right now, but Ice Cube is so funny in this movie, man. I would say either him or Paul Rudd. Kinda oh, Paul almost, Rudd, yeah, almost steal yeah. the movie. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but I get I guess I guess I was thinking like just because he's such a you're right. You're right. Who he is as a villain. It and fits that it fits that character. Yeah. You're almost not as surprised to see Paul Rudd hit this right yeah. in the yeah. middle. Yeah. This yeah. is perfect yeah. for him. But with Ice yeah. Cube, yeah. that question almost because people are wondering about him right now. Some of the some of his <laughs> he said choices wild he's made. But like, I, yeah, there's something about that performance that um and now I'm thinking about the young actors and realizing when I was talking about the characters, did I did I list Leonardo twice or did I remember Donatello's name? You got Donatello. Okay, good. I just, you know, if you ever do that where you say something and then you're mm -hmm. like, did I say that completely wrong? Did I, have I, I mean, did you I just... can check it when you edit. Yeah. I'm, I'm most certain that you said Donatello. But if anybody's listening, I know there's four different names and there's not two Leonardo's. <laughs> yeah. um, if I got it right, then I knew I was right and I'm confident. Um, no, I think that like for me, it resonated a little bit differently, but I liked that it was not going for the grandiosity and the meaning of something yeah, like Spider-Verse. I, yeah, I thought the animation too. was really interesting. I kind of agree with you that we're now in an age where you can't be a, a lazily animated movie and interest us. Like you can't just be right. Pixar figuring out how to render water droplets and hair better than ever before. There has to be some sort of a little stylistic yeah. thing to really make it click. Yeah, this movie, and there were times where I thought the character designs were almost like unpleasant to look at because there's so <laughs> much going on with them. Like uh, Splinter in particular, I felt like was, was look, he, he looked like, blurry. Well, me. he looks bad. Like in the it's world, like, he looks bad. <laughs> it's like, I don't think it's a bad looking graphic. I think that they made him yeah. kind of a disgusting looking rat, like just his fur, everything looks like kind of dirty. But I think that the level of detail and like, even if my eye didn't always want to have to parse what was going on, I was really interested to see how, like when there's smoke, they have like sketchy lines that are kind of yeah. blurring around i Moving mean it around. could it could be a little busy or a little much but it still is like it's thought and it's style and i'd rather something i'm, I'm a you know my the, my mantra these days seems to be i, I prefer something rather than nothing so yeah. often when i'm seeing a movie and i think that a little bit of style for an animated movie like it's not quite imitative of the line drawing style of the early early black and white comic book that i was talking about but it does sort of approach like an underground comic kind of look with mm. the sort of it's not pretty like the world it's bright colors and it's it's beautifully composed but the characters it's like uh 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 is it Leica that does the animated movies where everybody's the character design is so jacked up and crooked yeah, and it's like crooked yeah like everybody's got like a chin that looks like it's dislocated and yeah, i don't know yeah. there, there are so many choices about the world that i think were part of the way that the turtles and splinter see the world that they're in which mm. is these hateful almost like a, a a mob of villagers with torches after them and i think that 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 there's even a moment in the movie that plays heavily into a character walking up that we think is going to be a, a nasty person and turns out not to be and that's like a important um I, I i think that the emotional resonance for me felt like it was there but it wasn't this movie just wasn't trying to break the mold of storytelling and for oh, that no. i was kind of appreciative that it was sort of a, a like you said steve a brisk 98 minute yeah 
movie with all this style to spare, these fun vocal performances, like there isn't a lot to it. I know that you guys have locked onto it and you know more about it than I do, but like there, the, one of the things about Ninja Turtles is even at this point, when you're going back and telling the story, there's not that much to it. It's such a beautiful, simple concept. They're fighting mutant animals. They are mutant animals. They're in the, they're in the real New York city. Um, there it is. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's just something sort of neat about seeing it. And I, I'm with you, Steve. I have a lot of, uh, even if I don't always love what they're doing, I just love the 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 reach of what uh, Rogan and Goldberg are doing with their production shingle. And when they take an interest in a project and actually do the writing or, you know, like the envisioning on top of just kind of their name facilitating a movie, there's usually something really thoughtful and special about it. And I think the fact that this movie isn't trying to be the most thoughtful special thing in the world but is kind of trying to be a brightly colored fun blast um is what make was what made me really enjoy it like what made me kind of walk out smiling and you know even someone who doesn't have the emotional attachment to it they tease something in the mid-credits scene that i'm like of course that's what they're going to tease next for this world but it's like teasing the joker in batman's world or teasing uh zool in the ghostbusters world it's like we all know what you're leading up to, what confrontation the turtles have to have if you're going to continue this thing. But I thought starting with a a villain like Superfly, who I don't know if he existed in the cartoon or not, but but he fits right in with the sort of kind of comic booky, silly villain that they would have on the cartoon. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm agreeing with you guys with just a little bit less of the intensity that burns within you for this franchise. I just thought like, it, it kind of made me wish I had a slightly younger kid to take to it, frankly, um, because Henry's at 15 at the exact age to say, Dad, I'd rather see talk to me than Teenage uh, <laughs> Mutant Ninja Turtles. But, um, you know, uh, I, yeah, really neat. And I agree with you about Paul Rudd and Ice Cube uh, and uh, um, Ayo Itabiri. Is that her? Itabiri, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they really stand out, and I think we can see the slightly different, slightly contemporary, slightly more. I mean, you can see that what the differences might be if they carry forward this version, how they might branch away even from even just April O'Neil's like body type. This is a this is like a a, a a race. It's like a little bit more inclusive vision. They don't hit that too hard. It doesn't feel like it's trying to, uh, you know like overdo that idea. But I think we can imagine if there's, if they keep expanding this world, that they'll continue to kind of hash out a modern version yeah. of, of what's happening with these characters, but keep it fun. Keep it silly. Like bring on the, you know, br- bring on the goofy t- uh, surfing lizard that who kind of steals the show. I, I love that. This is the kind of series that can have those sorts of characters and the designs are, are fun to look at. You know, it's, it's not a boring same old animated film that you've seen before. So. I think I, I want to also say like the soundtrack is really great too. Like oh, the yeah. soundtrack so and the scores by Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, um, which is just incredible that they did a score for a Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the soundtrack is awesome too. Um, yeah, this definitely recommend for me. I mean, I, I, I'm actually, I, I'd like to probably check it out again in theaters if I me could. Um, Cause I really had fun watching it and you know, the little, if, if you, if you're going to go check it out, make sure you stay for a, a mid credit sequence, which is a, a nice uh, exciting setup for maybe what's to come. Uh, if this is a success, like I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I'm at on it. It's, it's definitely, 
I think it's way better than I thought a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie would be. Like, you know, another one, you know, especially Damn. going back to the animated form, which is refreshing and great. And um, I thought it was I thought it was really good. Yeah. And just a, a, in general, let br- bring on more animated movies that don't look like other animated movies. That's where yeah. I, that's my main takeaway from this is even when this isn't as like it, it, nothing is ever going to be as beautiful as the Spider-Verse films. This isn't one of the movies where you freeze it and every film is every frame is a work right, of art. Right. But it is one where it has such a defined look and style and it sticks to it. And it never like, I don't know, the layers are there. The the depth of, is there. And it does it does help the storytelling. I mean, like it helps you feel like you're in a world. Um and I think that's kind of what an animated movie can do so magically is create a world that can't exist. But by the time the movie's over, you believe it, you know? Um, well, I, I, I think you saw it talk to me, right, Steve? I mentioned that movie. I, I feel like we should give a couple minutes to it. Um, when did you see it and how did you feel about uh, talk to me? I saw it last night. Um, uh, and I really liked to talk to me. Uh, I didn't really know a whole lot about it. I mean, I remember hearing about it at Sundance and like a bidding war in terms of what or, you know, which studio was going to be able to acquire it for release. And, you know, A24 kind of coming out with it was, I'm sure, a great get for the filmmakers who, you know, uh, what is it? Danny and Michael uh, Philippou, who is most people know as like Raka Raka from YouTube. They have that YouTube channel. But this is like their feature debut and they made it on a pretty small budget with like uh, independent financing and some different production companies uh, out of, based out of Australia and then sold it to A24, which is just crazy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't really know a ton about the story. I did watch the trailer. I heard it was great coming out of the festivals. Um, and I knew a few people that had seen it and and kind of told me that they thought that I would really like it. Um, and, and I did like, you know, I feel like it was a, and it was like really cool too, because I got to see it. The theater was like pretty packed. So, you know, a nice like horror thriller playing to an audience, you know, being funny at times and being very uncomfortably creepy at times and scary at times. It's been a little bit since I've seen a horror movie like that in theaters because the last few I've seen, I I feel like I've been pretty empty, Mm -hmm. um, especially going on like a weeknight. But uh, but it was pretty packed. Um, I'd say probably like 90 percent full. And uh, yeah, I just found this a very at times very uncomfortable uh and you know moments where you kind of like put your hand over your mouth like what is happening um movie and uh kind of surprised me a bit to be honest and i'm very curious to see what comes out of this movie for the filmmakers for the cast because i mean it's a lot of with the exception of miranda Otto, who plays one of the uh, parents in the movie it's a lot of unknown actors you know that they made this movie for i want to say i think it was like four million dollars um mm. and it, it like overperformed the 10 million this weekend and is doing great you know with the drops week uh week to weekday to weekday i love horror but, i love horror for that reason steve i know so people, it's just people like, can go off with a few bucks celebrate it all right out of the gate you and, know it's and, like, and then like people and, and i mean it's like it's bankable i mean maybe not maybe 10 million isn't huge but a turn on investment for something like a24 no wonder they keep you know yeah for real making and, horror films and they do a good job marketing these movies too i mean i think they they get a lot of buy-in for the brand as a studio that they are they're kind of unique that way yeah like mm. i know i know ronald uh is the president of the fan club but absolutely um i just think that they do a great job getting the word out and people really kind of a lot of people have a uh, like a, a pre 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 sell on like oh it's the new A twenty four horror movie I'm gonna check it out at least whether yeah. I like it or not I'm interested in in their taste in horror 
And, and I think this movie fits right in there. I do feel like this feels more mainstream than most of their horror films. You know, I think it's, it, it's, it's not as long. It's not as slow. It's not as meditative as a lot of some, some of the other stuff that they've released, you know, and there are some sequences that really do deliver some scares. Um, uh, but it also kind of keeps you guessing at points because it doesn't really go for a lot of the cheap jump scares that you might expect it to because it sets that up a lot, but it kind of like pulls it back at times and then kind of gets you a, 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 a few scenes later. But um, uh, yeah, I really like the performances in it. It's just, it's one of the better surprises of the past few months that I've seen, honestly, like especially longing for some good horror. Um, we've had a couple of good ones this year, but I think this was uh, definitely kind of one of the better ones recently for me. What, what did you think of it, John? Um, well, I saw it last night as well. So, we're, and people should know we're recording on a Wednesday. So we both saw Tuesday night showings. I went to a ten fifty showing last night with my son, um, and um, you got to go to at least one late movie in the summertime. I'm sorry, <laughs> before, before that kid gets back on a good sleep schedule, I have to try one more time to destroy it. Um, For sure. But like, and it was it wasn't packed, but it was pretty pretty well attended i mean there was you know there was enough of a crowd to have those crowd moments where people are yeah. laughing because they're uncomfortable and where they're laughing because the movie's funny um but uh i mean i i think i kind of echo your thoughts in terms of the overall quality of the thing i really liked it it's one of the better horror movies i've seen in recent months or yeah. years in terms of delivering uh it 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 truly was scary in the way that I really love. I, I'm a sucker for the like, oh my gosh, you you thought you were playing with this force and you don't know you let something through or you think you're dealing with this, but something else, there's something else going on in this land. It almost reminded me of the way that Insidious movies sort of have this sort of dimension of the dead uh, that are trying to get back to us. And so that when you, when yeah. you tap in as, in, as a medium or with any kind of supernatural thing, like a Ouija board or a crystal ball, or in this movie, it's a, it's a hand, a, like a ceramic hand that you hold. Um, it's like a, a way into this world that you don't really know what you're dealing with. And I thought this movie, one of the things that I loved about it was the amazing job they did of integrating that into what felt like a real world scenario these people going around to the parties yeah with this it reminded me of like drug dealers or something honestly it's like there's a party of people they're waiting the people are going to show up with the thing that's going to make everything wild and crazy and fun and it just might turn ugly that's totally i don't think the movie's making a commentary necessarily about drugs but it totally maps onto that idea of mm. like what drink or drug does to a group of people you know like yeah. There's the potential for amazing fun and complete disaster because you've introduced this element in. And these two people who have the hand, I don't know. I just thought that stuff was really well done. Um, my only, I'm not going to really offer, this is a compliment that's coming in the form of a complaint. There's a point in the, like the mid part of the movie, once everything's established, there's a scene that is so fucking incredible from the acting, the editing, the music. There's a scene, this party scene, this song that kicks in. I, I looked it up. It's a song called Amen by someone named Mito-san. Um, I'll, I'll actually use it as the outro music on this episode. It is so cool. It totally feels this party scene where things go from, from fun to creepy to horrific. And the escalation of that was so incredible and had me so on the edge of my seat and so unsettled that when they break that tension by like jumping to the next day, the movie never quite that movie never quite got me back 
to that point where I was when mm. things truly go bad. And I thought maybe we were going to follow a minute to minute. What are these, what are these people going to do now that this awful thing has happened? And instead yeah. it's like, I'm not saying it's a problem because the story had to do what it was going to do. But I think the last half of the movie is a much more familiar a 24 style horror where the person has a personal trauma, a personal tragedy that is deeply connected to the story of the horror that we're seeing. Whereas what's happening in that party scene, what they're setting up is a potential, almost like a slasher type setup where it's like, you don't know what these kids have let through and what it might do to them. It becomes a much more personal story. And again, this is what the movie's trying to do, but I, I could not, I mean, honestly, I'm a horror guy. That scene, the party scene where everybody's trying it and it's just like the fun they're having and the music is awesome and it's escalating. I think that the 10, 15, 20 minute section of the movie is 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 beautiful, like incredibly done. I think the the last half is like a really, really solid recent horror movie that really does have, as you said, Steve, legit scares, not a lot of jump scares, stuff that yeah. where you're becoming more uncomfortable. And then I think the movie comes back around in the end for like a nice, nasty punch that it's a, it's a, it's an idea that's staring you in the face the whole time. And you don't really know that you don't really think about it because the movie has all these other things going on, but it, yeah. in that, it's got a really nice ending. It ends on a beat. That's like, I love it when a movie goes, knows when to go to black and has an image and a thought to go out on. Um, the movies that made me think of Ronald where it follows and um, oh, wow. a, a little bit of hereditary um, uh, and honestly, an evil dead type framework where it's like you have set up these characters, get them in contact with this evil force and then watch what a truly nasty evil force will do this movie does a great job of mixing up those moments where you see what the person is seeing and then moments where you don't like it's a perfectly modulated thing in terms of that there's a lot of creepy imagery but there's also moments where you don't see what the people are encountering and it makes it a little scarier but um yeah i want to say that like that middle section was just thrilling to me as a fan of the genre i really do think they tapped into something simple and super creepy you totally get it the whole thing of holding the hand and the things that you say and what happens then is just i don't know i just felt like i was watching a brilliant new spin on something that we've seen before and just like managing to make it all those things you said, Steve, it just felt really of the moment. It feels like a really 2023 horror film and like yeah. a really, really good entry in the genre and a great example of what if you take an elevated horror framework and you push it a little more towards the mainstream and, and maybe jack up those scares a little bit. Um, what a fun ride. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of loved it. I mean, I really kind of loved yeah. it, but I, I do want to stress, I absolutely loved that middle part. And I think that I just really, really admired uh, you know, what they do. After that. And I, I think, too, the acting is something even my son pointed out was that, like, you know, he said, I really liked all the characters. It's like there wasn't it wasn't the usual horror movie thing where there are some characters that are like paper thin or underdeveloped that you kind of find annoying. Even the more annoying characters had a certain kind of humanity to them and the family relationships and bonds of the situation of the story. I just thought it was a, it was I bought into it. I really bought into the characters and really hated to see them have to deal with like the worst possible thing that happens uh about halfway mm. in the movie you know so I, I look forward to more from these folks i hope they i hope they i hope they stay in the genre for a little while because they did a great job and the story behind this movie is really really awesome if, if you've never seen their youtube uh the the philippu brothers the it's it's raka raka r-a-c-k-a twice but like about five four or five months ago they they like kind of posted a video about the story of making this movie and like taking it to Sundance and you know the A24 of it all and just like their experience which is an awesome little very 
like genuine honest like they're just and they're 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 definitely like big personality guys i've only watched some of their videos but i'm familiar with them from youtube um it's a really cool watch just to kind of like that little inside baseball like experience of kind of taking this movie to a festival and it being like a big summer horror movie now um so that was really really awesome but i wanted to just kind of echo with john like i, I do think it follows came to mind. I, I think even also more recently smile comes to mind a little bit for me. Um, just kind of with that, not so much passing something along, but like once it kind of has you, how long does it have you and kind of how much time do you have? But I, I really liked, uh, you know, the last, like, I feel like he, John said, like it kind of comes around at the end, like for like a nasty kind of kick. The, the last like 10 minutes is just incredible. I thought, yeah, I thought that the last 10 minutes just really builds um, to so much kind of suspense with these characters that we're so invested in by that time. And I think like, you know, the last minute of the movie is just awesome. Like just flat out awesome. Um, and the way that it's just perfect. I, I really no notes on those last couple of minutes and uh, definitely a big recommend looking for horror right now in the theater. The next few weeks are going to be a little dry, uh, you know, <laughs> with theatrical releases uh, for August, but talk to me is in theaters now um hopefully it continues to do well and i would definitely recommend checking it out if you're looking for a, a bit of a horror fix and hopefully you can see it with a crowd too because you know it was it was really fun again seeing it with a, a, a like a good horror movie with a crowd um yeah what else anything else you guys want to mention that you've seen over the past couple of weeks that's in theaters or available to stream at home before we wrap this up the only thing I want to say is, and we maybe need to give some time to it next week. I can't believe that somehow we haven't talked about Barbie on this show. So probably we should give a little time to that movie, right? I mean, it seems like it's, it, you know, we'll be late on the cultural conversation, but I look forward to uh, hearing what you guys actually thought of it. So maybe we can do a Barbie segment next week, but I don't really feel like talking yeah. about it right now. Yeah, let's <clears throat> check it I out. Think, I, I think we've, we've done it. enough for this episode. Yeah, Aaron <laughs> saw it last week with her girlfriends and she loved it. So um, we're trying to go see it this week together. So oh, awesome. Check it out. Okay, cool. I think um, you'll love it, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited to see it. Um, yeah, what else? Ron, did you see anything you want to say? You wanted to drop um, real quick? I saw Twisted Metal. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were talking about that. Uh, I enjoyed it uh video game adaptation that was not trash it was it was actually kind of <laughs> fun and i don't typically like anthony mackie which i, I was gonna ask you is this, is this an anthony mackie that you like because i know that yeah, usually I mean, you he's come he's, down he's, hard on the max he's actually really likable man. man he <laughs> believe it or not he's a little more dialed down and he's a little crazy in it too but this is a dialed down anthony mackie for some reason he, he really plays to these emotional beats that happen and um yeah it's they're definitely opening it up to a season two and, and what it would lead to um so i saw that and then hijack which steve had been kind of championing this last couple of weeks uh finished the season today um it was action-packed from start to finish idris is doing it i don't i don't know man somehow he becomes these different people in these in these movies he's a negotiator who kind of deals with like big deals between two companies like acquisitions and the terms of those acquisitions he takes a plane that is hijacked and 
when you find out what this is and in the in the mechanics of it, I've never heard of anything like this before. It's one of the coolest concepts. And if they keep it going, maybe for a season two, just the idea that like, you know, terrorism could be done this way um by this this methodology this 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 used i would love to see a show that kind of figures out how to f- do a season two with idris and um yeah it was it was it was fun and and i almost pissed myself every episode it was like <laughs> you think that something's something's okay you're like oh okay it's cool and then so it's like oh okay something else happened and who is this person what is going on? And it doesn't, yeah. what I love about it too is like, it doesn't spoon feed you anything. So some of the things really do come out of left field. You aren't supposed to be like, hey, I saw that person do this thing. It really is crazy. And yeah, that's a cool thing, man, to not be able to telegraph everything that's happening. Hijack. So those those two shows. Are... I also wanted to say that Twisted Metal has some of the best sound design of I've ever heard in this. Yeah, you team. mentioned that. Now, do you mean like in terms of creative use of sound, or do you just mean with your system, you were able to appreciate how well system, they utilized the possibilities? Yeah, it's, you got to understand, like TV shows typically don't have like a like anything that stands out. I mean, don't Last of Us, obviously, right? Yeah. Like that's like a masterpiece of a thing. But typically, when you when you watch a TV show, it's just kind of flat sound, right? And I think even even if you have like a stereo setup, you can hear the way that they move from left to right channels pretty pretty frequently in a way that I just hadn't really heard, even for like car shows that are that exist on TV. So mm-hmm. this is it's 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 like this there's a lightning scene in particular that happens in the season that's just like what is it? It gave my system a workout. None it's a peacock show yeah. on a streaming service and yeah. it should not have sounded this good. And it's throughout the whole show. So it's it's a credit. Voice acting is really good. Will Arnett is uh, Sweet Tooth. Um, really stands out. Um, with the body of a wrestler named Samoa Joe, which is really strange that they didn't just use Samoa Joe, who has a very deep, mm-hmm. interesting voice, but Will Arnett's amazing. So um, Yeah, we're never going to complain about No, Will never. Yeah. No, never. So it's it's a fun one. I think, like, uh, I haven't finished Twisted Metal yet, but I think what makes anthony like mackie more likable in this show or at least I, I kind of agree with you in general about him but like i think stephanie beatrice like really does even some out like she even she kind of softens like kind of that where he kind of feels like maybe overacting or kind of hamming it up a bit yeah like it kind of it kind of dials it back a little bit because i think she bounces off of him really well but yeah I, i'm really liking that show too which surprised me um because I, I didn't really feel like it started that great but it definitely settles in after the second episode um but yeah hijack i still need to finish the finale but yeah i I was telling you guys i think i really feel like just pound for pound it might be like the show of the summer like only simply because like that that's like that's not a sequel or or a a second or third season just like an original show this summer you know i just feel like it feels very much like those like 90s action thrillers yeah, like Harrison Ford, like in the, you know, Idris is in the Harrison Ford role, like where he's got a special skill, not like a Liam Neeson skill, but like, you know, he he he's capable more than me and you, but he still kind of screws up, you know, yeah, like yeah. there's sequences in the show where he thinks he's got the them pegged for something and like it kind of backfires and like it's it's 
It's it's interesting to see that happen in a show it's, like that. It's interesting to see it's that happen. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like Hijack, that. I think it's great. Um, I wanted to mention one that I I was hoping to talk about last week to kind of time it better because it unfortunately this movie came out on Netflix the weekend of Barbenheimer. Yeah, but um, there's a there's a great movie on Netflix that I absolutely loved and sh- shocked me. Like, because I feel like they didn't promote it. The trailer was cool, but like there was nothing about this movie. Um, but they cloned Tyrone. Oh man, it's so fun! Uh, it's on Netflix, mm. and it blew me away. Like instant classic. Yeah. It was a instant fucking classic. Blast. It's like a Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, <laughs> sci-fi comedy, just fucked up idea of a movie, and and, yeah. and, and and like an update on like a black exploitation, like something that sounds yeah. wrong in 2023, but like. A stylistic update on on the fun of, yes. of that type that, of that, like yeah, exactly like l- letting actors like Jamie Foxx and John Boyega uh uh you know um play in that sandbox a little bit without without doing something too re- re- like retro or whatever just yeah, for really yeah. yeah yeah super and the three of them like fun. the three leads uh Tiana Paris is the other one oh yes right uh, right right no she's incredible they're like so good together mm-hmm. and like they are. within a minute of seeing Jamie Foxx on the screen again you're like oh that's right. He's yeah, a that's why. That's why. Yeah, yeah, like he is a star, and yeah. I mean, even in light of like what the, like the medical stuff he's been going through recently, yeah. and maybe that's a reason. Maybe there hasn't been a lot of PR prior to the strike for this, but like you know, everybody's great in it. Like yeah. you know, yeah. John Mayega's great, Tiana's great. I love her, but really, Jamie Fox is like again, like the Incredible. minute that the minute that. You know, he pops up on the screen as Flick Charles, and you're just like, "Oh, that's Jamie Foxx playing." Like, that's yeah. who Jamie Foxx plays, and that's and why he's just, a fucking. Stop, you know? That's why he's yeah. Jamie Foxx. It's like you do yeah. sort of forget. I mean, maybe he becomes yeah. like such a big star, and you start thinking about your personal feelings about the man, and thinking, "Well, maybe he's a little this, he's a little that," but he's not one of those. He's not like The Rock, where his yeah. like his no, stardom has yeah. turned him into somebody where he shows up and he sucks the air out of a production. Sometimes he's not that guy. Yeah. He's a great actor, and you sort of forget. Sometimes I don't know with Jamie Foxx. Yeah. It it sneaks up on me every time I see him. It probably shouldn't, you know. Have you heard those stories about the filming of the the movie? Mm-mm. So apparently they would shoot it in like I mean these weren't sets. These are like uh very lived in areas in Atlanta. So they would film it, and sometimes some of the neighborhood people would be like, "Hey, you can't shoot here." And apparently, like Jamie Foxx would go out. Oh and, wow! Like, tell jokes. Like, hey, you don't have to do anything bad. They're like, Jamie Foxx. And he would just, he was like, John Boyega said, essentially, he was doing stand-up in the middle of a bunch of like thuggish dudes that were about to kick everybody out, steal equipment. He was like, he had them laughing. He like hugged everybody and thanked them for for like being nice and appreciative. And that's great. He sang for them. Like it's I mean like, that that that's like yeah that's that star power though yeah like yeah, yeah. and the like, super it, talent it, of that guy in like, like he's, yeah in like real life like he would yeah, win over a situation like that that could be very scary or like go anyway man. sideways but yeah uh and just to, to shout out also just uh, I'm not familiar with the filmmaker but Jewel Taylor I know he co-wrote I think Creed two and maybe the Space Jam reboot. Which I don't not to speak about that, but this this uh I think this <laughs> the, the the direction in this is incredible. I I just feel like as a filmmaker, this is like quite the flex for like being like I think really the first feature yeah, directorial man. debut. Um, 
just it's, really yeah, well it's got shot. style it's another yeah. one with style for sure and just like, a lot of great sequences that really stood out to me um like as they like all, all this stuff when they kind of make their way through the the thing that they discover uh that's yeah. not on the same level of earth that we stand on uh <laughs> like all that stuff was awesome you know and uh and again i just talked about talk to me having like a killer last sequence i just feel like this movie too has like a really awesome last three minutes and yeah. you know it's just like ah you have one of those aha moments you know when you think about the movie's title and you're like ah okay yeah got it got isn't it. it interesting when a movie is just trying to wrap up its own self and not trying to set up 13 more movies in the Dude, franchise yeah. or I mean, react to whatever audience reaction to the last thing in the franchise i mean i do think that's something about uh they clone tyrone that like just makes it feel so fresh is that it is yeah it has all the all the marks maybe of what we love about like ip <laughs> but yeah. none of the baggage of ip it's like it's but it's got the uh, innovation of like here's like a, a hook you know what i mean here's a very yeah. it's extremely yeah. hooky story i mean honestly i feel like in a weird way it was mismarketed too steve but i have seen nothing but people saying what we're saying like i've you know what i mean it's one of those movies that no one really seems to be talking about it or anticipating it but when you do catch a reference to it it's to talk about how great it is so i feel yeah. like netflix might be the right place for a movie like this that it can kind of grow so a cult following uh, of, of a sort in a place like that but you would like to think that a movie like this would make a bigger splash just because yeah everything you just sure. mentioned it's fresh and original and and is good in it, ways that we want to celebrate so good it, it, it plays on like barbershop talk in a way that i just have never seen before <laughs> and then like you know a couple years ago there was like a legitimate buzz that gucci man was a was a clone he's like he's a overweight dude that lost a lot of weight he was like muscular his teeth were different he sounded different and people were like he's a clone there was it wasn't even like a like a like a this is my theory it was just the talk was gucci man is a clone yeah this is like a going on for years and years and years and and to see a movie that plays on that and all the weird like, like they put in bombing fluid. They put in bombing fluid in in malt liquor. I've heard that a million times. Or, you know, it's just like this shit you hear. So yeah, it's like so surreal. Yeah, the sur the surreal nature of some of those scenes. Yes, and like not to spoil the movie in any way, but like the chicken spot scene is so yeah. good. I mean, they showed it in yeah. the trailer, but yeah, yeah the yeah, full yeah. scene is so good. When that when they're like, there's something about. You know when you're like two o'clock in the morning, you're at like a IHOP or something, laughing with friends. That feeling of just like we're having fun in the moment, and for him to like feel the way he felt in the yeah. middle of that, and feel like it was somehow being manipulated, it's just mm -hmm. so good, man. Yeah, it's, so it's, good. What a what a what an amazing surprise for me. Like honestly, so, like, yeah, I feel like I'm the past few weeks has been really incredible in terms of what i've been watching and movie wise like i just yeah. feel like again i didn't get to see barbie yet but i just feel like i don't know going like back to us seeing oppenheimer and then seeing this and talk to me and turtles like it's been a really good few weeks of it's movie watching run, and you know to be able to have something on netflix to talk about you know if you if you can't make it to the theater anytime soon for what we you know some of the other theatrical releases that we mentioned i just feel like if you got Netflix, you got to watch this movie. Like this is this is yeah, legitimately yeah. a great film. Like it will probably make my top ten of the year. Like it's it was it, I enjoyed it that much. Um, 
Well, it just reminded me of how excited I was about John Boyega after I saw Attack the Block, how like oh, I was dude, like, this yeah. guy's going to be a star. And then it really yeah. was exciting for him to be cast in Star Wars. And I still maintain that, at, you know, uh, The Force Awakens was a great movie for his character. But like that kind of fizzled out a little bit and it made you want to see him back in movies like this. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I'm so glad yeah. that he's I don't know. I just. It, it's similar to the Jamie Foxx and uh, the Tiana Parrish sort of part of the equation. It's like, these are actors that you've seen before and you've liked them and their chemistry is just amazing in this movie. Yeah. And it really brings out the, all their strengths. <clears throat> yeah. Check it out for sure. Yeah. So good, man. So just to recap real quick. So John's pick for required viewing for the next episode <clears throat> is the offense, the offense. Uh, we talked about, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, which is in theaters now. This is a ahead from all of us. Yeah. John and I, go ahead for Talk to Me. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ronald's got some series he's giving you go heads on. Twisted Metal. I'll, I'll second that and hip, uh, Hijack. <clears throat> and again, if you're home looking for something right after listening to this episode, just go on Netflix and watch They Clone Tyrone. We're, we're, I'm going to guarantee you like this movie. Like, I, I don't see how you don't find it entertaining. Like, it's it's yeah. that it's that entertaining. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot, guys. I hope you took notes, but I just recapped it for you if you didn't. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know what we'll talk about next week. Maybe Barbie if we all see it. Otherwise, I'm sure we'll see something between now and then that we can that we can throw together. Um, what what's the big release next week? Is there? Oh, the Meg Two comes out this week or next week? This week. Oh, that's exciting. Also, maybe I'll go see that. Um, if ever so there was an we- August movie. Yeah, yeah, I was like, it's, but it's yeah, Meg too. Yeah, it's Blue like Beetle. that's a movie that like almost made a billion dollars. No, I know, but I'm just ago. saying, it's like, it's like insane. But, yeah, it's but it's that late like in the eight, summer. It's like yeah, like six or seven hundred million worldwide. Yeah, like, what? Yeah, and then and then they get Ben Wheatley to direct the sequel, which is just even more of a what? I know, right? Right. <laughs> and the look of the trailer is like that's what what I got to see this movie. Yeah, every, every, every time uh, we see the giant shark coming through the, the wave and then we see like uh statham like on, i guess on like a jet ski on jet top ski, of the I wave you, maybe yeah. holding a, a gun or something like oh, i like laugh i laugh every time i see that you know the yeah, spear it's right. even better like yeah yeah that movie looks exactly dumb enough to be fun you know what i mean I'm, and it could be that that's just the trailer but I, i'm i'm thinking it's going to be exactly Honestly, that's as what dumb the first and one fun as it looks that was that's what the first one was i felt like it was i had fun with that one Self-awareness um, goes a long way. You, too much, it maybe does. it gets sure. a little, it curdles sure. into something. But if, for this type of dumb shit, <laughs> self-awareness goes a long way. Yeah, you, you know what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Moviefree.com is the website. You can go there to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already or just to catch up on past episodes right on the site. And YouTube.com slash podcast is if you want this beautiful video element to be able to see us on a weekly basis i mean it's up to you though you can take your pick look how handsome Um, we still are you you don't get to see the hand gestures or like the nods of of agreement you know Mm -hmm. like before Mm -hmm. words come out of our mouth (laughs) it's like bonus features you know but it's they're free you know we're not charging for them or anything um yeah we'll see you guys next week and as always you've made our day thanks
talk to me. I, I let you in. 